0: Welcome to
1: episode 189 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Max Amillion Stoiber. One million Max's Stoiber. He is an engineer, a developer, a React guru uh, in <laughs> town. A guru? Yeah, what do you call him? Well, gurus are fake. A React guru from <laughs> Vienna, Austria, in town this week for React Conf, and we got to catch up with him and yeah. learn about React and building things in code. He built a couple libraries we are using on some fun
0: projects, and so, uh, yeah, it was, it was great to talk to him about him.
1: He and I collaborated on Daybook earlier in January, which, if you don't know, is like a, a really nice way to count numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really good, like, one number at
0: a time calculator. Yeah, it's
1: pretty sick.
0: You can only add one to whatever the previous number was, and that's that's all it does. You
1: mm-hmm. can also subtract one. Congratulations, yeah, Brian. That was the V2 release. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, just a heads up if you're looking for more design and developer content to help you level up, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network. We've now got 10 podcasts, something like that, all aimed at helping designers developers level up their skills. Our newest podcast is Swift Unwrapped and iOS. So podcast, good. And it's doing great.
0: Yeah. It's uh, Jesse Squires and JP Samard. Uh, they're two. Longtime iOS engineers who are doing awesome work. Jesse has this newsletter called the Swift Weekly Brief, where he like kind of runs down everything happening in the open-source Swift project, and now they turned it into a podcast with us. So it's pretty good. Even the guy who wrote Swift said so. So check it out.
1: If you want more content for your ears, go to spec.fm. And with that, let's get into episode 189 with Max Stoiber. I'm Max. Uh-huh. What's your last name? I do JavaScript. God damn it. <laughs>
2: you <laughs> no, do JavaScript? No. I Yeah, I write JavaScript.
1: I am JavaScript.
2: I, I am. <laughs> I am JavaScript, man. I should have like a cape with JS on it rather than just Superman. JavaScript, JavaScript boy.
0: That'd be good, yeah. TM. It's just yellow and it has like black JS in the lower right-hand corner. Mm-hmm.
1: That's, <laughs> That's a good idea. I, I, think, I, I mean, think I have a new sweater. I'm basically a costume designer now. Something something personal brand. <laughs> oh, God.
2: <laughs> so... Hey, everybody. I'm Max. I work at Thinkmill as an open source developer. Uh-huh. I write tons of JavaScript. If you're into the React thing, you might have heard of some things I made like React Boilerplate and styled components. And recently I worked with Brian on a thing called Daybook, which you might have heard about.
1: Um, and yeah. It's the hot new app to track coffees. To track, to book your days. To- to track things that you do throughout your day. It's like a modern journal. Hey, wow. why,
0: why are you focusing on a daybook? You helped me with Brin.io too. Come on. Oh, yeah, that's
2: true. Oh, and, and bring with <laughs> Brin.io.
0: It's, it's, it's the website that is a couple of text links and purple stuff. <laughs>
2: it's awesome, though. It's you great. Should, you should go to it. Uh-huh. It's very simple. It's beautiful. So, Obviously.
1: what are you working on right now? Uh, Style components, mostly. Yeah.
2: Um, we released that half a year ago by now, I think. Uh-huh. And... You become and Glenn Madden? Yeah, exactly. So Glenn Madden um, is one of the original creators of CSS modules. And I met him in Australia. And for a variety of reasons that we can get into, um, none of the other CSS and JS libraries or CSS modules fulfilled all of the things that we needed. And so we thought about what you know what we could come up with that was even better mm-hmm. than those things. Mm-hmm. And that's where Sile Components comes from. So, so
0: what were the things you really wanted? Like How, how did you come up with this solution for that? Yeah. Um so should we talk about what style components is, I guess, first? Yeah. I'm just like I'm you, very interested in this. Yeah,
2: there's a lot we could talk about here. Yeah. Um so style components is a library for styling React applications. Um it's specific to React and it puts your CSS in JavaScript. Um but unlike other libraries you might have seen, we let you write actual CSS. So you're writing just CSS like you normally would in your JavaScript file, mm-hmm. and you can then enhance it with the power of React and JavaScript. Um that's sort of the high-level description. What does
1: that mean in practice? Um, you write JavaScript and you style your components. <laughs> no, but okay. like, what so is what really is fine detail there? What, um, why would I want to add JavaScript to my CSS? I'm a designer. I've been writing. Have SAS you ever heard separation sheets. of concerns, man? Like the the conventional wisdom is you have your HTML files, your JavaScript files, your CSS files, and maybe they talk to each other, hopefully. So why are we now doing everything there. in JavaScript? Like, Why do we think that this is better? Um, why do you think this is better? There's a variety of reasons.
2: Um, the biggest one is that for CSS specifically, that CSS was made in an era where the web was consisting of documents. Um, so you had scientific papers that you wanted to share. And initially, they didn't want to have CSS, right? They didn't want to have a styling library for the web. Because it was only meant for scientific papers, and they didn't want to have scientists style their own papers, like they would look crap, right? That's not what you want. Um, but then they, you know, the web got evolving, and you know, there were no longer no, just scientific papers there. So they decided, okay, we should add the language, and they made CSS, um, which is a very short version of a very long history that you can look up yeah. by yourself on the internet. I'm not gonna talk about that because it's really boring. Tell me a story. <laughs> um, but now we're building these the, the whole the whole space of web application development has moved towards components right everybody's using components mm-hmm. we have things like react and angular and ember and all of these javascript frameworks that use components and then you have now a standard way to do it on the dom uh, in on the in the browser very soon the web components and you have things like style guys and patent libraries which pretty much every big company uses right mm-hmm. and many of the small ones as well just because it's much nicer to work with um we still have the same CSS, though. The language has fundamentally not changed since 1995. Of course, there have been features added and stuff. We have CSS2 and CSS3. But the general ideas behind CSS haven't changed whatsoever. right? And the issue is that it just doesn't work very well for components. It wasn't made for components. Right? It was made for scientific documents, not for you know, building component-based user interfaces.
0: I mean, components don't cascade in the same way. You can build them on top of each other, but that's not like their default functionality.
2: Yeah, c- components are entirely separate from documents because with components you want your component to look right, and if that looks right, it should look like the same everywhere, right? Yeah. If you have a button mm-hmm. that shouldn't change its look based on, you know, where it is, it's just a button and mm-hmm. right? it looks the way it should. Mm-hmm. Um, and this you, you run into that global has uh, that CSS has a global namespace, mm-hmm. right? So we invented naming conventions like BEM or Smack mm-hmm. CSS, or you know, all of these naming conventions to help us combat naming collisions or annoying bugs where you change the the display property of the button and suddenly your entire header collapses and you're like, what? What just happened? Right? Um, and those things are all very manual and they're still error prone, especially in big companies. Like if you have, if you're at Facebook size or maybe even, you know, if you have a thousand developers working on the same app on the same components, like there's going to be naming collisions.
0: You're going to name something the same thing. and Yeah, it's just going to happen. Like, whichever n- thing comes last will win and oh, yeah. maybe some of its properties will and some won't and, then the third developer will stack a couple more on... Yeah. But, yeah. And
2: so that's where all, that, that's where the whole idea behind putting your stuff into JavaScript or near JavaScript comes from, right? That's where all of these libraries come from, and that's also where CSS modules come from. You get scoping. Which you might right. have heard from. Right, exactly. You, get, we, you basically get automatic BEM. Because in reality, if computers are much better at doing things uniquely, why are we humans doing that? There's no reason for that.
1: Um, I know how to name my classes perfectly uniquely across <laughs> every situation and... Contact Brian I have,
0: just uses Brian spelling, yeah, which is just where everything is
2: Brian's, very wrong. Uh huh. Brian element modifier uh-huh. the BEM notation. Oh my <laughs> god! Yes, <laughs> so good. Yeah, so that's the background of where the whole putting of CSS and JavaScript comes from because we wanted a way to make CSS work in component-based systems. Okay. Um, and there there were a few these that um one of the biggest ones is CSS modules, which lets you literally have automatic band notation, so you don't have to worry about it. You can name your classes very generic, and then in your components they'll get unique, uniquified by the build pipeline. Um, the issue with CSS modules specifically is that you have to have a very specific build setup for it to work. Um, it only works in Webpack and only with the, this exact CSS loader, and it's quite slow, and it, you know, you have to be very aware of what you're doing. Um, and also, if you try to share components, so if you, for example, use a third-party component library, like I build you know, Elemental UI, which is a third-party component library, you can npm install Elemental UI and use our button. The issue is to get the styling of our button, you have to import some less files, which are CSS modulified. And you're like, "Uh, what? I have to import some less files in my JavaScript? How does that work? And again, you're you're requiring your users to have a specific build setup that you expect them to have, a specific build pipeline that's exactly the same as you do, which is horrible because nobody would want to have that. Um, And so styled components does not require you to have any people build pipeline, but it gives you the exact same benefits and even more than CSS modules. Um, Yeah, that's sort of the
1: fundamental things we wanted to improve on CSS modules. So as someone who has been building websites for a long, long time, styled components totally changed the way that I think about constructing components and has just made life easier because of the things that it does. So for example, you can pass in any sort of dynamic information to change the values in your css and and so that's what brian
0: tries to do for everything now and that's brian element modifier (laughs) that's where he passes in a a completely arbitrary prop for everything just for fun it can be any (laughs) magic number
1: yeah i'll do really silly things like toggle pointer events so you can't click on shit and you don't know why (laughs) that's correct Uh uh-huh uh but it, it also lets you name things any random thing and then it generates what a class name a so class name that's a random another it's just idea, a hash, right?
2: When you look at style components, the, the two weird the two ideas that you'll immediately see and that you will immediately think are weird or I thought were weird at the beginning are we let you write actual CSS in JavaScript, which is mm-hmm. already pretty weird, but then we also don't have any class names or any other sort of mapping between stars and components. Yep. Right. Because if you think about it, in a component-based system, the button class name should only ever be used in your button component. And then you reuse that button component throughout your app, but not the button class name. Like That's only ever used once. But if that mapping between your style fragment, between that piece of styling and your component is only ever used once, why do we have a mapping at all? Right? Like why? Why do we need that if we if we only ever use it once? There's uh-huh. there's no reason to have that. It's only makes it it only makes it more error prone if people go, oh, there's a button class name there. I might as well use that in the header because it already has the styles I need, uh-huh. right? Um, and so that's the second. My really header weird thing. is a button. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I am not good at making websites. <laughs> Yay!
2: <laughs> or
0: you're very good at making websites.
1: You're excellent. Those, those metrics. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, how's the response been? So, well, well, first of all. How long ago did you start working on this problem? Um, I've been thinking about styling for one and a half years. Um,
2: I literally tried every single other... I just started s- thinking about styling for the first time one and a half years ago. I heard yeah. of CSS one and a half years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like st- like specifically for React, right? Yeah. Um, and and he's third- like, and the I whole- can do this shit better. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole third party component library thing and stuff. Um and then I literally tried every other library you've had of. Like, whatever you can think of, I've used it. I've probably built something with it. Um, mm-hmm. For the simple reason that I didn't want to build my own library, because there's already, like, 40 out there. Why do we need another one? Uh-huh. Yeah, I built mine. It's yeah. good. It's all right. It's called <laughs> Brin Element Modifier. <laughs>
0: no, no, it's Spectre. Ooh, that's a good name, though. Yeah, I mean, spec. i got to have spec puns and everything. What's the point otherwise?
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so then half a year ago, a bit more eight months ago, nine months ago, Glenn and I met and we started riffing off of each other with the style components idea um, and started building it. And then two or three months after we started building it, we, we released it at React React.nl.conf um, and immediately got a huge response for the simple reason that it's very nice to use, I think. Um, like the development experience, as
1: Brian said, of working for the simple with reason it, that we did a good job. <laughs> for the simple <laughs> reason that it works really well and solves the problem. We're we're pretty good at this. <laughs> we are successful. But a, a
2: lot of other people, uh, a lot of other people solved a lot of the same problems with other libraries. Sure, but they just didn't solve them. They just didn't solve all of them. Yeah, they didn't make it work for everything. Uh-huh. Um, and so we we released our components, and since then it's now the the biggest CSS and JS library other than. Well, still the biggest CSS and JS library is Radium, um, which is an inline style library called uh, used by made you passed by passed it in the stars or something, right? Yeah, okay. made by Formidable Labs. And like three days ago we passed them in stars, nice. six months after launch, and we we're really close to overtaking them in downloads. Um so Radium was like ninety thousand downloads a month and we have seventy five thousand or eighty thousand. Crazy. Um, which is huge, but you know, we want to get bigger. Much bigger. <laughs>
1: Everything will be a style yes. component. Everything
2: should so be style components.
0: When I first started building React apps for the first time, um, I was using a couple of different libraries, mainly from the guys at Zeit, and they used Glamor as the, like the built-in mm-hmm. styling system. How does this compare to something like Glamor or Aphrodite, these like really popular libraries?
2: Okay, I'm gonna blow your mind now. Okay, Styled components uses Glamor
0: under the hood. It, no, it's Radium. That, that's why Radium's still ahead, is it just downloads it every time. <laughs>
2: um, so the difference between Aphrodite, Radium, GSS, all of these other CSS and JS libraries, um, not CSS and JS libraries because Radium is an inline style library, which is a difference. That's a whole other point. Um, but all of these styles and JavaScript libraries are, don't, so they they solve the issue of encapsulation but they still let you use the same style fragment a bunch of times, and you still have to write Mm -hmm. styles as JavaScript objects, which inherently is freaking annoying. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know if you've ever done that for a long while, but it's just having to remember to... Like no syntax highlighting for media queries. You have to put a double quote into content for an after element. You have to remember all these weird quirks that you didn't normally have. And then also your designers, if they're not exactly JavaScript spe- spe- specialists like you two, can't go in and style the application anymore because suddenly it's, in, it's a JavaScript object and they're like, "What the fuck is this? Right? How, how am I gonna? How am I gonna write Precisely. styling now? Precisely. Um. So that's like the main differences between those libraries and why we made style components. And then so. The whole thing with the third-party component library is that style components has really easy overriding ability and theming ability. So there's theming built in and also a very nice overriding mechanism. So you can override styles with style components super easily and, you know, pass in different styles. And you can have theming where you have a global theme that you can change um, to adapt your entire application dynamically. Mm-hmm. So it solves all of the problems that I've ever run into. The thing is, um, version one was sort of a first, I don't want to say prototype, but it was a, a first version, obviously. Um, V1 was which V1? version? The second version? Uh,
1: the se- <laughs> <laughs> um
2: and now since then we've been working on version two, um, which adds which does two things. It adds some small features. But the main thing and why it's a breaking change is that we've completely rewritten the parser. So it's now much smaller and much faster. Because in version one we used post CSS under the hood. So we took post CSS, took all the node stuff out and shipped it in the browser. But that's huge, right? And we don't need three quarters of what it does, so we wrote our own CSS parser. Um which is much actually um a contributor to that, Thai Sultan. Um how fun was that? I have no idea. Apparently he enjoys it. His response time is like impeccable. Like whenever somebody goes and like we have a pre-release of for version two out. So um if you listen to this right now, they're like, I want to use start components. Do an NPM install start components at next and you're gonna get a pre-release of the second version. Um again, the only bugs that there really can be in version two compared to version one. Our parsing bugs where some CSS isn't perfectly parsed. We've eliminated like 99.9% of them. I use style components v2 in a bunch of production applications without any issue. Mm -hmm. Um, We just want to do a pre release. So, you know, if the parser isn't 100% compliant, we know before we do the actual release. But so, yeah, that's the biggest change in version two. And I hope we'll be prefixing uh, placeholders. But I don't know.
0: That's all I want from
1: version two. (laughs) Bryn's a very simple man. But I know what love is. And it's styled components. Uh, <laughs> styled components is open source.
2: Yeah, it's open source. You can You can start. You can download it. You can. Y- your job title code. says open source. Yeah,
1: you do open source. I do open source. Talk yes. to me about that. How do you survive? How do you make money? How do you? Why? Why do you open source stuff? Yeah. What's the reason? I don't, I don't know. Like, let's get. I don't know. It's a way of life. Well, man. Yeah, it's no, a but like. <laughs> th- so this this is still taking me a while to catch up on is. When I say, what are you working on? You say, I'm building this open source library to help you style JavaScript components, right? And maybe someone says, wait, is that his job? How does he survive? How does he devote his time to this? Get is up, that pays that like him. a full-time thing? Like,
2: <laughs> per star. How,
1: how does this work? How does your life work?
2: So there's this company called Thinkmill that mm-hmm. you've probably never heard of. Um, it's a, except, Australian Australian company, now. Yeah. except if you're in, in Australia. Um, It's an Australian agency based out of Sydney. I'm not Australian, I'm Austrian. um, So I'm from Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I met Jed Watson, whom you probably have heard of if you're into Node or React. Mm I mean, he makes a bunch of of open source. I met Jed Watson, who owns ThinkNode, together with Boris, um, the co-owner, last year, before React Conf. Um, And we got talking and we talked for three days straight. And then he was like, well, do you want to work with us? And I was like, yeah, but I don't really want to do agency work. Like, I'm not interested in building products. And it was like, well, we're looking to sponsor somebody to do open source full time. Do you want to do that? And I was like, wait, are you serious or fucking with me right now? It was like, I'm serious. I'm like, hell yeah. And so then <laughs> I joined ThinkNote uh-huh. and I've been, just been working on open source since then, mainly JS, which is our Node.js content management system that we use and build up ThinkNote. It's the headless CMS? No, it's no? similar. So if you know Contentful... Mm -hmm. We are like Contentful. We're we're like a backend that is really easy to use, but But you have to write it yourself. Like You have full control. It's it's, it's not like a backend as a service like Firebase, which, (laughs) by the way, that's a whole different rant about why that's a pain. Tell me how much you love Love Firebase rules. Oh, my God. (laughs) Who thought it was a good idea to let people write security rules with fake JavaScript, with random magic global variables in a JSON blob in strings? I, I don't understand how anybody thought... Well, that those sounds were, like a those good idea. Were, <laughs> like those David, were hey. those were some words that I didn't fully understand
1: but also they still sounded like a bad idea. I heard blob in there. Uh <laughs> maybe maybe someone that works at Firebase is listening. We would love answers and we can give some suggestions. But also yeah, it I seems know. like uh, their new cloud functions thing is an
0: improvement.
2: You still have to Does use the rules though. Yeah. They make more possible like it's a good idea but it you still need to use the rules to get your database secure which is yeah. I mean Firebase rules. If anybody of you who's listening works at Firebase, please well, at Google or on Firebase, please let us know why. Why.
1: Re- yeah, reach out. We have feedback.
2: Diffing, general version control. Uh
1: just testing. <laughs> yeah, testing of be chill. <laughs> like let me let me get some sort of Staging? administration thing That just says, here's the exact rule that broke because this data was passed and it expected this data. Like, oh, you can do that in the simulator, you're yeah. To write it yourself. yeah. But that's how fun <laughs> is a simulator to use? Max. Very,
2: very fun, very fun. I've only spent a few dozen days in there uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> we,
1: just, we just got off in the weeds, but
0: <laughs> these these Firebase rule weeds. So, um,
1: so anyway, so anyways, you're, yeah, you're working for you're sponsored to work on open source,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Um, What's that like? Tell me about it. Open source is interesting mm-hmm. because you spend a lot of time <laughs> That's a good spot to end, end open source is interesting <laughs> Because you spend a lot of time on things that you normally wouldn't spend time on or would have to spend time on. Um so a lot of my days are spent just in GitHub issues, right? Like I look at my notifications. I have two hundred open notifications right now. I'm gonna to need to look at them some sometime. Someday. Um and that's a whole different topic because it makes you feel bad that you have that many open notifications, but well, you just can't keep up as a single person. If you just
0: mark them all as red. I mean they kinda go away. They kinda go like, away and then like people blame
2: you on Twitter because you've forgotten to uh-huh. fix that one security critical issue. Uh-huh. Which is fun. Um No, but open source is, I think, a good way of doing things. Um because it doesn't hurt you. Like that's I say that as an as an open source developer, but but think no itself. Every developer thinkmill spends 25% of their time on open source. It's not just me. I'm I'm just the only employee who spends 100% of the time on open source, but everybody else also spends 25% minimum on open source. What do you mean by it doesn't hurt you? Are you, are you like- So, for thinkmill in as from a business perspective, because a lot of people think, you know, if if my developers if my developers at my company work on open source, they're going to be way less productive and we're going to make way less money and it's going to hurt the business. Or they're giving away our IP or whatever yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. But it's exactly the other way around, right? If you think about it. Like do you know Sentry, the error tracking service? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sentry is a product company, right? They do, they sell a product and they host it. They basically just ship beautiful illustrations. Like that's their whole business. Oh one, my right? God, those illustrations are yeah. so good though. Holy cow. Um, but so Sentry is fully open source. You can literally download the product and host it yourself if you want to. Um, and if you think about it, if somebody's doing that, they would not have bought Sentry anyway if it wasn't open source, right? So the only thing they lose by doing it, by making it open source is that they get other people working on it and they get free help and they get issues submitted, and they get activity, and they get marketing, a shit ton of marketing. Like, there's no significant downside in open sourcing your app. The um, number of companies that want
0: to maintain it themselves or are capable of maintaining it themselves, like, that overlap is very small. Yeah, a, a very small percentage They're of them They're not those. losing yeah. significant customer base.
2: Yeah, they... they They've lost, maybe, you know, they've lost maybe half a percent of their customer base, but yeah. they've gained 500% because they have that much more marketing because people talk about how they're open source and how awesome that is and yada, yada, yada. Um, and their code quality constantly improves. Yeah. So there, there's a difference there between building a, a user-facing product and building a developer product, of course. Um, but you can still take huge chunks of your apps and open source them. Like Keystone.js, the content management system that is open source that I maintain that we make at Thinkmill, it's literally, we built it because we needed a Node.js content management system because we wanted to write... JavaScript, but we didn't want to. But we also wanted to give our clients an open uh, and CMS, and we just made it open source because we knew other people m- might want to do the same thing. And it's proven really valuable for us because we get people saying, "Hey, I made this thing better, and I made this thing better, and I made this thing better." We have so many contributors; it's it's crazy. Like Keystone gets better because we made it open source, and also it's really good marketing for us. Right? There's no downside
1: to open sourcing a bunch of stuff that we've built. Like it doesn't hurt us. So why why do people not do this? Is it I I remember when you and I were working on Daybook together and I talked about open sourcing Daybook and you kind of gave me the same pitch. Like, it doesn't hurt you. Uh, But I think I just have this like broken model of the world. Like, I made it. I guess at this point we made it. It's like, it should be ours. Like, it's this weird, perverse sense of ownership. How do you convince people or get people out of that mindset that open source is... You know, we talk about the marketing and the. the I mean, people don't talk stuff, about like, open source as
0: being a bad thing. It's just like companies that get nervous about it. It seems like
1: yeah, it's like the uh, ownership.
2: It's cause thing. nobody, because nobody. I think, I think this is one of the unspoken secrets of Silicon Valley. For example, if you look at Facebook, they have teams working solely in open source, right? They have the React core team, which is like eight people now who just work on React. But if you think about it, the amount of value in hiring they've got, they've gotten from making React, the amount of people that already know the stuff that they're working with because they make React open source and because they have people working on it full time is immense. Like the amount of money they spend on hiring, on paying eight people, they've made back a hundredfold, a thousandfold probably. And it, it's annoying to me that they don't talk about it because I think, and I think that's one of their like trade secrets that they won't, won't, don't want to spill and that's why they don't speak openly about it. I don't know. You've worked at Facebook. You work at Facebook. You must know that, right? But it, it irks me that, they don't, that these companies that do open source don't talk about it, right? It really irks me because there's a huge value to be gained from a business perspective from making your stuff open source. It's not like, the actual user facing product but like the underlying technologies using underlying tiny bits of code you're writing they could just just as well be open source it won't hurt you you'll gain a lot of money by doing it right there's actual business value involved over the long term but nobody's talking about that and it's really annoying i mean it also gets into some
0: interesting things around security too right like a lot of companies have to go through these like insane security approval processes so one it exposes the code so that their company can already check things out without having to go through this like insane third party process but on the other hand, they're like, well, you've exposed your, exposed your code base. Now can someone else like learn about vulnerabilities or whatever, right? Yeah. Like it's a weird limbo thing too, right? Like the company I started out at was a giant printing company and we were not allowed to use open source libraries for our own internal use or open source our own libraries. It was crazy. And it, it all came down to some like insane third
1: party. It's like the paranoia kind of, right? Yeah. It
2: was, I mean, the company was super paranoid. Yeah. There's a there's a difference there between open sourcing front end stuff and open sourcing anything else. Um, open sourcing your front end stuff is often not as security critical as open sourcing, for example, your entire back end. Sure. Like that's a totally different thing. If you open source your entire back end, people can find actual security holes. But for front ends to have serious security yeah. holes that <laughs> mess up your server, something has to be very wrong. Yeah, and you want to <laughs> know about you wrote that some anyway. Bad CSS. Like you don't want that. To be known, it requires like you no... to expose all your environment
1: variables. <laughs> yeah. For example, oh my god, imagine doing that. Passing node variables to your style components. <laughs> it exposes it in your style sheets. It's just like <laughs>
2: <laughs> a huge comment at the top of the HTML. <laughs> this is the environment variable for our Firebase instance.
1: Please change everything. Delete all of our stuff. Please we'll don't delete all our rules. We can't get them back. Please don't steal this. Let's go back. Like we talked about styled components and, and the open source stuff. I want to figure out how you got there and then i i do want to dig a little bit more into some of your goals um but where are you from i'm from austria i'm from vienna okay. which is a lovely city and if you're ever in vienna you should
2: definitely hit me up uh uh-huh. let's hang out i'll make you a coffee um i live in the imperial palace uh-huh. that's not a joke i live in the actual imperial palace because you my are building, the, 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 the king Hoffberg, of austria my my my,
1: my the the building
2: the building my apartment is in is older than the country i'm sitting in right now think about that for a second
1: and the country you're sitting in right now is San Francisco. San Francisco, the <laughs> yeah, oldest con- the country, the oldest, <laughs> San the oldest country in the world. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Sure. How much do you love San Francisco? <laughs> or is this what we're doing now? On a scale of ninety-eight to hundred, where <laughs> you at? Don't even get me started. <laughs> I. Right. So, am I about to get you started? <laughs> oh, he's trying so hard not to.
2: I really don't want to rant about San Francisco while sitting in San Francisco. Um, cool, no but problem. if you ever come to Vienna, you're going to know what I mean. Like okay. you you're going to know how awesome Europe and especially Vienna is. Uh Aust- no, I mean uh, generally actually, there's there's I mean San Francisco is great incredible. from a technical from a technical perspective and there's great other cities in America that don't have a huge homeless problem for example, which I hate about San Francisco. Like it makes yeah. me just feel really bad. Like whenever I'm in the city, I feel like shit. There's people here dying. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in my Uber, driving by. That feels bad, man. And so, there's there's obviously not all cities in America have that issue, right? Um. So there's great cities in America, but what I like about Europe is the social security system, and that's a whole different topic, especially sure. now with the new president of the Ameri- of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um. And how clean and accessible everything is mm-hmm. in the public transport sense like I don't have a driving a driver's license I'm making I'm getting one but not because I need to drive around in Vienna just because I want to have one Mm -hmm. Um, I can get anywhere in Vienna which is a 2 million people city within 30 minutes at the very maximum with public transport like I wait two minutes at the very maximum like there's almost no waiting time and I can get everywhere really fast we have a really good system between metros trams and buses that you can get everywhere with maybe changing once and it takes you 20 minutes Right, it's it's ridiculously awesome. And then I come to San Francisco. I'm like, so I want to take the train to somewhere. Where's the next park station? Oh, I have to walk for thirty minutes. Uh-huh. Oh, and then it takes me another two hours to get to the other side of the city. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. I'm gonna take a lift. <laughs> right, uh-huh. it's it's like I know why Uber and Lyft were started in San Francisco, right? <laughs> yeah. they, and that's why they they're not very successful in Vienna, I can't, or in any other of the big European European cities. I can't I can't imagine because it public transport is like it costs me. A year or a day, like the the yearly ticket for the Viennese uh, public transport system costs me three hundred sixty five euros, one euro per day. And for one euro per day, I can go wherever I want in Vienna, and it takes me twenty minutes to get there. Why would I ever take a cab? Like they're they're gonna be slower and sticky
1: and um slow and sticky. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from Vienna. yeah Sorry. When did you write your first JavaScript function? <laughs> How old were you? Two, um, three. I am. Um, I just turned
2: 20 um, on the fourth of January. Uh-huh. So last year. Th- what? what this year? What?
1: No, I asked when he wrote his first JavaScript. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. So I wrote my first JavaScript collection
2: two and a half, three years ago. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into programming through Minecraft and through school. Mm-hmm. Um, where oh, you're uh, that era? Yeah, I'm. I'm that era. A Minecraft baby. <laughs> I played. $3,000 of Minecraft, and I wanted to have him like we wanted to have our own sort of environment. So, we, so I wanted to set up a Minecraft server. But when you're a 13 year old kid, you've never heard of what a service, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what that is. So I googled it, and I tried to figure out how to set up a server, how to run a Minecraft on that. You picture like the the 3D like section from like hackers, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, the blue stacks, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and so I got a bit into service and then I got into computers in general, like I did a bunch of, you know, I was like a tech support person, but I never really did programming. Um, And then we had to, um, for our, when you graduate school in Austria, you have to write like a 40 page thesis about a topic that you choose, right? Um, And for some reason that I don't know anymore, I chose to write about TCP IP, about network protocols, Mm -hmm. which is one of the most boring topics you can imagine, right? TCP IP is super boring. Like there's nothing practical about TCP IP. Zero. But I had this afterwards I had this 40 page paper about TCP IP. I knew exactly how every single bit transfers in the internet. I was like, how can I use this knowledge? And one of the most simple things you can do with that knowledge is make a website. Right? Mm -hmm. Just make a website. Set up a web server and then make a website. And so I did that. And then I had a web server, and then you know, I put a tiny HTML file there. And I thought, well now I have a website that says hello world. But I could also put other stuff there. What if, like, what if I? What if you just
0: said hello world a bunch of times?
2: (laughs) For example, (laughs) what if I put my name there? And then I thought, well, this looks like crap. This doesn't look as good as Brian's portfolio. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Uh, I I miss (laughs) that Brian's
0: portfolio is no longer on the website. Like, that makes me very sad. (laughs) It's so good. His portfolio is
1: excellent. No longer exists.
0: That was the portfolio that made me think the portfolios were worthwhile. (gasps) Oh, buddy. You restored my faith.
1: Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's gone.
2: Oh, no. (laughs) Um, And so then I tried CSS. And then I was like, oh, this is fun. And then I thought, well, I want to be able to change the content without changing the files, though. Mm. So I set up a WordPress instance Uh and got into CMSs. And I thought, no, that's PHP is horrible. I don't want to learn this. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, And then over time, I just, you know, I just tinkered on my website. And then over time, got into JavaScript. And then, you know, over time, again, to the whole React thing and building dynamic user interfaces and stuff. Why React? Why React? Um, I got an internship at a company in London called Animate, and I was there for three months. That's also where my weird half-British accent comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was there, and after two months, they went, so, Max, we've taught you a lot about HTML, CSS, and jQuery. We're not really sure what we want to teach you for the last month. Like You've been helping out on commercial projects. Like What do you want to learn? And I was like, I have no idea. My boss suggested there's this new cool JavaScript framework called React, we might want to use that on some projects. Do you want to like try building something with it? I was like, all right, I'm going to try. And so that's where my React comes from cuz they told me to try and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try and I built a few things and I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Like this is freaking awesome. Why? Cuz the development experience is just great.
1: Like you can build dynamic user interfaces really, really easily. Let's talk more. And the reason this is important and I want to talk more is because in theory, there are designers listening to this, and for me, learning React has been one of the best prototyping tools it, to do real live things with real live data that has interaction. And it is
0: like, one of the most valuable things I've gotten to use in like exploring how to build design systems. Like yeah. that component structure is perfect yeah. for it.
1: So, so could you share a little more for maybe like imagine some of it. The- has heard the term React, knows it's the hot new thing, but like, what is it? Why is it an important development in the JavaScript uh, world, development. right? Yeah. yeah. So
2: before, <laughs> before React, there were a bunch of JavaScript frameworks, right? Because people started building rich interactive web applications, right? And we have things like Figma, which is basically Photoshop in the browser or sketch in the browser. Wow, right? dude,
1: come on, man. Sorry, sorry. I didn't want to hurt Bryn here. Deep cuts, <laughs> deep cuts.
0: Um, <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's like a WebGL like drawing layer be- sure, sure, behind sure, sure. a sure. bunch of React.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. But the thing is, we've started building these really interactive applications um, with JavaScript. And when you build a big, really interactive application, you're going to run into issues because it's hard. Like, It's not easy building interactive applications. I mean, so people started building frameworks for doing it. Like The first ones were like, you know, you, you could probably even call, count jQuery and prototype JS and stuff. But the, you know, the first real framework was, I think, Backbone.js which a bunch of people use just because it made things much easier because it gave you a structuring application and it sort of took some ideas from the end world and gave you some structure into how you build your interactive stuff. Um, and from that involved a bunch of other frameworks like Angular. Um, and then React came on the scene three years ago, I think, two, three years ago. Um, and what's interesting about React is that it has a very strict component model. So you build your user interfaces as components and there's no way around that. Like you have to build components. I guess you could build two really big components for each page, but it, it'll feel really weird. Like uh-huh. it's not something that React encourages or makes easy. Right. React makes it easy to build lots of tiny components that you reuse throughout your entire application, which works really well for dynamic user interfaces. And it also takes care of performance and re-rendering for you so that you in 99% of in 99.9% of cases you're not gonna have to worry about performance when you write a React like app. Right. Where another where another um, frameworks or when you do it manually, you'd have to take care of like the rendering loop and not re-rendering too often, so it's still at sixty milliseconds. It doesn't like block your main thread and your redrawing and stuff. And it's horrible. Like I don't want to have to worry about that. I just want to write my components. Like, yeah, I wouldn't
0: it. know how to worry about that. So yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. And React, <laughs> I would probably
0: just explode. It, it took me like five minutes to get my first React project
2: up. Yeah. that was crazy. Yeah, React has has a bad reputation for have having been very tool driven and putting weird JSX into JavaScript. So React has this thing called JSX, which is syntactic sugar over JavaScript functions, which makes it just nicer and lets you write kind of HTML in JavaScript. It feels like HTML. Yeah. Um, but that fundamentally is just a bit of syntactic sugar. You could use React without JSX. And, but, you know, everybody thought for React you needed a lot of you know tooling, but really you don't. Now there's Create React App, which does all of that for you, basically, so you just have to download Create React App and use that, and you're done. And so... If you've heard of other or used other JavaScript frameworks like Angular or Ember or Vue or any of those, um, an interesting property that React has is that React itself is the API surface area is tiny, meaning the things you have to know about React to write a React application are very small. Like there's there's a lo- very small number of things you have to know. If you if you, for example, build an Angular application, right? And you get better and better at Angular, what you're learning is the Angular framework. You're learning how to do NG ifs and ng4s and you know, all these weird Angular-specific things. With React, if, you, if you're if you getting better at and if, if you're building a big React application and you're getting better at it, you're learning JavaScript, right? And that's a very interesting and very important property of React, I think, is that you use vanilla JavaScript for most of the things, right? React is right. just a tiny layer of rendering above that. And the better you get at React and the better you are at JavaScript, um, so the better you, you get at React, the better you get at JavaScript, basically. Um, and that knowledge, even though React might not be around for the next 100 years, that knowledge of JavaScript will be relevant for the next 100 years if you're working as a web engineer, right? think we'll be doing a designer... JavaScript in 100 years? Sorry?
0: The, the really, like, dystopian thing that just came out of this was you think we'll be doing JavaScript in 100 years.
2: I do think we'll be doing JavaScript in 100 years. I actually think we'll do that. I don't think there's a... I mean, we just got computers, like, 30 years ago. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: that's a good point. <laughs> that's a, Yeah, that's a good point.
0: It does seem well, like things yeah. are moving in that direction, for sure. We'll see how long the trend goes. But... There's this...
2: Like Guillermo Rauch, yeah. um posted this really funny image on Twitter of like a cartoon where he had in like an apocalypse situation, he had like a group of five people sitting around the fire and they're like the last people on earth. And one of them said, For one beautiful moment, we put JavaScript everywhere.
1: <laughs>
2: and that's like a thing everybody will remember. We destroyed the yeah? entire earth, but for one beautiful, shining moment. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Put JavaScript everywhere. I think that's hilarious. But I also think JavaScript is nice because it's very beginner friendly and lets you jump right in. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have types, so you have, don't have to know about all sorts of weird computer science y topics to write JavaScript, which I for example don't.
0: Yeah. Well, but then you also have to worry about the issues of like not having type, <laughs> which
2: which can yeah. be hard. I mean, yeah. There's a <laughs> type there's a safety trade-off is there. pretty neat. There's a there's a there's a trade-off there between type safety and beginner friendliness. Yeah. Um, um do you know Brendan Eich? He's the original creator of JavaScript, and he's mentioned on Twitter before that he can see j- he he can see TC39, the committee that designs JavaScript, adding optional static typing to JavaScript in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's on the roadmap. I, think. I mean, it, it, which we, makes sense, right? Because for big applications, you want type-safety, and we have things like TypeScript and Flow. And, we used TypeScript at Figma, yeah. and they loved it. Yeah, which is um, awesome. It's awesome. I mean, type-safety is awesome once you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, it just makes things so much harder to get into. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to learn Java, and I. Still don't know any Java. Like they teach you about types before they teach you about programming. Yeah, yeah. That's we do get weird
0: to me. some nice type management stuff in React with prop types, and like you can check whether or not the data is the correct type. But yeah, it's, it's not like nearly as extensive as most people would want.
2: Yeah, and also it's dynamic, so it's, so it's at runtime, um, which is a big difference over like type and flow and TypeScript. We will tell you at build time, hey, you you messed up there. Like that's not what you want to pass into. You've done
0: function. goofed. Yeah, you've done goofed. That's what we should name an like we should make an error library and just call it "You Done Goofed." Uh huh. It'd be the
1: best. And all it does is console log "You Done Goofed." It doesn't tell you where you goofed. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a Firebase checking library. (laughs) Oh god! Oh god! You done goofed somewhere up in them code loops? (laughs) Let's get tactical, because they will have to get into the debate. But I think it's important for designers to be aware of these kinds of things happening if someone is hearing this and is like, okay, React sounds beginner-friendly. It sounds kind of interesting. Uh, Brian and Bryn say they could learn it. It's been a useful prototyping tool. Yo, you guys Where, have been listening
0: to us for, what, two years now? And you know what kind of idiots yeah, we are.
1: Yeah, we're some big old dummies. Where should people start learning? Where would you recommend they start learning so, React? So, tools? I wrote a really extensive tutorial, Yeah, um, which is uh,
2: on educative.io. So okay. you go to educative.io. Um, and so to React, you're gonna find a huge, really in-depth tutorial that, te- that starts with React, but is it but it teaches you how to think in React rather than teaching you ad- advanced syntax construct in, sure. in, in React. So it's so it's about building your first real real-world application. So you do things like styling and um, fetching data and testing and all that sort of things which other tutorials don't even touch on, right? So it's really long. Um, it really goes through a lot of stuff, which is good if you know, like if you know a tiny bit of JavaScript, you should do that tutorial. If you don't know a tiny bit of JavaScript, learn JavaScript first because otherwise you're going
1: to not get React at all. Hmm. I have this problem. I, I dabbled in JavaScript for a long time by doing tutorials and reading books and things like that. And I had a really, really hard time with these JavaScript puzzles that they put in the books. Like create a chessboard that's... n number wide and tall and alternates pattern, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know how to do this shit and I don't really want to do this shit. But in React, it's like, hey, build a form that modifies something on the screen and it's pretty straightforward. Like it's not, it's yeah, practical. You know, it's not it's like, like algorithms and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that, which I find that at least Same. the JavaScript tutorials I found were much more like computer science-y, solve in an algorithmic way. Whereas I, React. I wonder if they were, the like, tutorials are like pretty practical and like Yeah. Hey, you
2: want to build a sick button? Like here, right? <laughs> yeah. So my, my educator tutorial has you build a weather app. Yeah. So you can query weather from an API and oh, you can get perfect,
1: because designers love weather apps. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So you can use your already existing design that you put on Dribbble yeah, yeah. and now make it a real app. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, if you want to learn JavaScript, just build something. Um, I there's a great series by West Bos, um javascript30.com. Yeah, I use 30, that. 30, that is the number. Great. javascript30, the number. Uh, com. Link in the show notes. Yeah, um, which is really great um, because it has you build 30 actual things. For 30 days, you basically build one tiny thing with JavaScript every day. Um, and it's really helpful because if you try to learn a programming language by just doing, you know, computer science and stuff, as you said, like, it's not going to have anything to do with what you do in your real life, except if you're in computer science. Or other scientific stuff. But we I want to build user interfaces, right? Mm-hmm. I want to use JavaScript to build my components, not freaking compute some stuff, you know? Um <laughs> and so that's really good because you get actual things that to build that yeah. you can then build and mm-hmm. you know figure out is that is how do I actually use JavaScript.
0: Wes actually does a couple other courses that are really great on Redux, creating a React app and like what's new in ES6 that were like super helpful for me to like, bit, like I built a JavaScript app a couple of years ago. ES6 is totally different and that's like the standard for React and it's it's crazy town. So that was super helpful. You yeah. he also did an interview on Developer T, one of our other yeah, podcasts. That was a, uh, a
1: great interview. Yes, it's a good one. Okay. Did you end up studying computer science? Um now that we no. we've covered React. Back to you. Um
2: so after high school, I like graduated in high school, um, I thought I want I want to become a programmer. I'm really enjoying this front development thing. I want to become a programmer. So the logical route there is going to university, or for me was at least, you know, going to university and studying computer science. And I started studying computer science and it was extremely boring. Hmm. It had nothing to do with with what I was passionate about, which is building user interfaces, right? It was all, hey, how how does a processor work? How do the bridges in your microprocessor work? And how do they make bits? Yeah, logic gates. How do they switch around to make bits and bytes transfer and, you know, horrible stuff that's really boring. I'm falling asleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um And so I I did that for, like, three months, and then I thought, oh, this isn't, like, I, I I wasn't doing my coursework. I was just doing front-end development on the side and, like, barely scraping by in terms of grades and what I had to do, just because I enjoyed front, like, I just did what I enjoyed, right? Um Which I still do. Like, I, I'm, I'm horrible with doing things that I don't, I don't enjoy. I'm really, I'm a huge procrastinator, but then I procrastinate on things that are, Useful most of the time, except when I watch stupid videos on YouTube. Uh-huh. But, Pro- procrasti-working? Yeah, I kind of procrastinate work. And I kind of procrastinate work it on front end development. I was like, hey, I don't really want to design a microprocessor. i just tweak my website a little bit. Yeah. You know? And then I thought, well, I should probably try and learn this for real. Like, I'm, I'm obviously more passionate about front end development than I am about studying computer science. So I should probably learn this for real. And I got an internship at the company in London and went there for three months and then came back. To Vienna, I wanted to get a job. And people wanted to hire me, but they wanted to pay me very little, like a thousand euros a month, which is a 1, thousand, a hundred bucks a month, which is nothing,
1: right? When you when you think about it, that's- Your conversion there was very, very weird. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry
2: about it. A thousand dollars a month isn't a whole lot. Yeah, it's it's just not not a lot. And I felt like I could learn. I wasn't, I obviously was a junior developer, right? No question about it. I just did my first, my first, internship building actual applications. But I knew I could learn things faster and that I was worth more money to the companies. Um, and I interviewed at a bunch of companies and none of them were really excited about having me. And you know, all of them were sort of like, yeah, we'll have you and we'll pay you a very meager salary so you can barely scrape by. And, um, and I thought, that's that doesn't sound like a life that I want. And then I thought, well, apparently nobody hires... Front developers that haven't studied CS, so I might as well just go back to university. So I started going to university again. Round two. And surprisingly, three months later, I <laughs> thought it was really boring. Again. <laughs> I was like, this is not what I want to do. Um, so I stopped again. And on the side, I had done a bit of open source, just, just like things I had built, sort of open sourced them. And one of those was React boilerplate, um, which is like a tiny React folder structure that at the time was a tiny React folder structure because I'd built like... A handful of React apps and I was like, I've been doing the same setup every single time. Like I've been setting up the folder structure, I've been setting up Webpack, I've been setting up all of these things over and over and over again. I don't want to do that all and over. Like I'll just put that in a separate folder. And then I had it in a separate folder and I thought, well, I'm definitely gonna mess this folder up. I should probably version control it. So I put it into Git and I thought well, I might as well push it up to GitHub so I have it on all of my machines. And so I put it on GitHub and I had like a tiny README and I used it and nothing happened and, you know, it got 50 stars on GitHub and, you know, maybe one or two people were using it other than me. And then on the 27th of December, ah,
1: yes, the day,
2: uh, one and a half years ago, I woke up, I was out skiing with my parents in Austria. We did our, and we like, we go skiing a lot and we were on our annual, like, Christmas skiing holiday. And I woke up and I, like, checked my notifications and for some reason, we had a lot of issues, a lot of news. And so I was like, what's going on there? And I checked all the issues and I looked at the repo and I went, holy cow, my open source project has 550 stars overnight. Uh-huh. I have no idea what happened. Right? I was so excited. Like, oh, literally overnight, React Bodyplate went from 50 to 500 stars. And I was like, holy cow, what is going on? I posted, there's still a tweet um, on Twitter by me. You can <laughs> oh, link in the show notes. Oh, no, it's a tweet hey, on Facebook. Where it's tweet like, on
1: Facebook by God Mark. damn it. Please. And
2: where I, <laughs> I wrote this tweet and my friend Mark posted it. <laughs> <laughs> where I went um does anybody know what happened with React Boilerplate? It, t- it, it gained like 500 stars overnight and then an hour later somebody responds yeah you're on the front page of Hacker News uh-huh. and I was like what and I looked at Hacker News and it was literally like on the front page of Hacker News for 13 hours yeah. and by the end of that day React Boilerplate had 2500 stars and it gained another thousand over the next you know couple of days and from then on people knew me as being a React guy right that sort of was the start of getting to where I am today um And that was pure luck. Like, I I have no idea why the person who posted it actually posted it on hacker News. It just happened, right? And I feel really lucky that it happened. And since then, a lot of the things that I've done come from things I've discovered while making RagpolliPlate. So RagpolliPlate back then was in its first version or in its second version, maybe. Um, And it was, again, just a tiny folder structure and a tiny, you know, example app. And then for version three, which was released almost a year ago by now, um, a little bit less, um, I went and talked to, it must have been hundreds if not thousands of developers, um, and talked to how they build their React apps. And I went to them and asked them, what do you do exactly? What does your folder structure look like? What's the biggest problem that you run into? I read every single article you've ever heard about, about folder structures, how to build big React applications, how to scale React applications. I've tried hundreds of libraries in actual applications. I've literally, everything you've ever heard of, I've probably tried. Um, And then for version three, me and the contributors which because by then we were a team of like 10 people working on it which is crazy um we took all of those ideas that we heard and all of those things that we learned and we put them into one compact package that you could just get clone download and just use for yourself and it's going to you know it's going to scale up to i don't know how many thousand components like i've seen people use it for huge production ready applications and they they're having no issues because of how React Boilerplate is. Obviously, they're going to have issues if you build a big application. That's just a thing. But it's not
1: because of React Boilerplate. Because um, React Boilerplate is perfect. Yeah. Don't React Boilerplate it. is
2: amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. And then so React Boilerplate happened. And then from there on, I you know, got a job at um and started working on open source full-time. And that's where I got to where I'm today. Where are you today?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why are
2: you here? So I'm here because of React. Uh-huh. Um, on Monday and Tuesday. Surprise. By the time you're hearing this, ReactConf is over. Yeah. So sorry if you want to go next year. Uh-huh. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm in San Francisco for ReactConf. I'm giving a lightning talk about styled components. Mm-hmm. Um, Surprise! If you're there, come say hi to me. Uh-huh. Oh no, you sorry, ReactConf uh, will be over by the time you're living in this hopefully okay, this. You yeah. said hi can, can you just give this lightning talk right now? Do you I have think ten minutes? I kinda
1: did. Well I heard I, I heard kinda, a, I heard a sneak peek last night.
2: I kinda did give that lightning talk. But the T L D R is CSS sucks for building component based user interfaces and styled components makes it much more awesome. Yeah. Well, it's it's purpose built for that thing, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Um, that's kind of
0: what I'm talking about. Um, I wanna, you're just shitting on other people's work and saying, look at my
2: work. <laughs> I'm not... Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. Yeah, yeah. So, Start Components uses, for example, Glamour and we've taken lots of ideas and influences from other libraries. I don't want to, like... if. So the thing I was is, totally fucking with you. No, 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 that's fine. But um, a lot of people think that there's some sort of rivalry going on between me and you know Sunil, who makes Glamor or Aphrodite by Khan Academy, or the people who make Formidable, like Formidable Labs, who make Radium. But not at all. Like we're all just experimenting. We're all just trying to find a better way of doing this, right? And Style Components is now very popular be- because it's gotten some new ideas. But I know that. It won't be around forever. Like, there'll be somebody who comes with a better idea. Or maybe we'll improve, you know, maybe we'll say, tell us, hey, I've got an idea of how to make style components massively improve. And like, let's do that. Um, and the thing is, that's the thing I really love about the React community is how, how friendly everybody is to experimentation. Like, when I tell CSS people about style components, they go, what the fuck are you doing? Get the fuck out of my face. Like, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? I, I I don't want to hear about it. That's a stupid idea. Putting CSS in JavaScript, who do you think that you are? Right? It's, it's really hostile. But, now that's a generalization. Okay, I don't want to insult anybody who's about, who's into CSS, um, but I've noticed as a common thread, people who are not into React and more into CSS or or general funnel development have a much more knee-jerk reaction against style components. Whereas the, whereas the React community is like, "Hey, this is super weird. I'm going to try it. And I'm going to let you know how what it's like." Yeah, and that's something I love about the React community: how friendly everybody is and how how happy to experiment everybody is. Right? Everybody's just trying to make the world a better place for developers. <laughs> right that's just the whole the whole community is moving in that direction and that's way different from many
1: other communities that I've been in I want to talk a little bit I, I guess as a tangent to that and it's about giving back because obviously you you admit to yourself that you got lucky in some ways with, with these projects taking off but one of the things that was really surprising so I, I think I had heard of you on the internet a while ago and then uh, in January I built a small side project called Daybook which was a very tiny React app that essentially increments numbers, right? Uh, Really complicated shit. Inspired by our good friend Josh (laughs) Puckett. Inspired by our good friend Josh Puckett. Uh, All I did was wrap user accounts around it. Anyways, not trying to plug that, but you reached out and were like, hey, cool, can I help? And we've talked a little bit about this, but I thought that was such an interesting, like that was kind of my first time seeing someone really reach out and just want to help because it seemed interesting so I want to talk a little bit about why you do that kind of stuff like what inspires you to reach out and help people and like give your time back to improving these small side projects or maybe uh, another small open source thing like what is it about that that's fulfilling to you or catches your eye and says oh I I think I can offer something there I've never really thought about that to be honest Mm
2: -hmm. it's a good question um thanks
0: Brian needs to add a good questions thing to his daybook so he can add one for today.
1: I have asked one good question this year.
2: <laughs> I I just really enjoy working with great people.
0: So why that, Brian?
1: Hang on. you right. Actually, now that you say that, we're going to revise this. Nice boy
0: I'm and up. great person are kind of different things. Fuck, <laughs> I messed
2: up.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
2: No, I'm it. just kidding. He I'm um, um, The people I work with on whatever I work on make the working on it pleasurable, I think. I mean, it's a hu- it has a huge impact on how I feel about working on something. Like, if I'm working on something that isn't designed or was designed by a junior designer and doesn't look very good, even to my red, green, colorblind develop eyes, yeah. I, I already feel less compelled to work on it. Like, I don't, Feel passionate about it, whereas if I work on something that's well designed and it's thought out and there's a reason for everything that's there, I'm like, yeah, I want to make this better. Like, I, I want to help building this. Right. That's
1: basically it. Yeah, just working with great people. I think so. Design does matter. There you have it. Wow, Jesus, Brian. Proven should developers design? Should yeah? What do you think?
2: <laughs> oh God, now I need to. Answer you do that. have an eye, yeah. by the way. I yeah, you say that, but yeah, I have the so. There's this famous talk by Ira Glass. I Ira think. Glass, yep. yeah. Yeah, about, on taste. Yeah, on taste. I have the taste, but I I can't be bothered drawing rectangles in sketch. Like, <laughs> it, well, okay, yeah, sketch they, doesn't define. Make design. them not rectangles. Make no, them. I mean no. I, I know, I know, but I I couldn't like I could never say I'm a designer, right? That that would be ridiculous to me because I don't. I don't produce things for other people. No. I don't I don't produce designs for other people. I this don't make- is
0: very interesting to me. Yeah. Um we write a lot of code, but I have a hard time identifying it as a developer in any way.
1: Yeah, true. So what's the as threshold? A What's the threshold? Like today you and I are going over a feature and you're like, no, but it, it shouldn't be quite like this. The text should be this, the icon should be this, the hover state's weird. You're thinking about the interaction, like what happens when I click on this? Should it move up? Should it move down? Like those are designery things. Yes. Um, but you don't want to call yourself a designer.
2: I think if you're building user interfaces, you have to think about the user. Like there's no, like you can't not think about the user. That's, but you know. only designers are allowed to do that. <laughs> no, get <laughs> the, out of the here. The difference is that like, everybody work, thinks man. about, like the whole, everybody should think about the user, but a designer spends most of the time making it work for the user. Whereas I say, hey, that hover state is a bit weird. I'm going to fix it. You say you design like you take a blank canvas and you make a design system out of it. I couldn't never do like if if I look at a blank canvas and try to create something out of it I'm like uh but you take a blank style sheet or
0: a <laughs> blank document and it, create man. something out of it.
2: Yeah, there's a yeah, you're right. There's a spectrum there. <gasps> uh uh There's a spectrum. No, no, no. <laughs> God
0: damn it. Uh so okay, so I was just I don't want to get off on the thing i was just at uh fun size for south by southwest in austin we we got to talk about this and this is something we've kind of been talking about the three of us for quite a while is like there's a gradient it's it's not a like we talk about this like there's a fence and you throw things over from one side to the other which is not the case it's a gradient and you have like a programmer who is literally taking like instructions and just putting them into code and then you have like an illustrator who is just drawing a thing but like from there like it's a gradient in between them right Mm -hmm. i mean those seem like the far ends of a thing
1: yeah i see where you're going with this so how do you
0: describe anything like inside that gradient between like designer and developer
1: i think it's for me just about like how, how how much of that gradient you want to cover and then how smooth you want the gradient to be. Those feel like different things. So for me is... Brian's got a big stop. Uh, no, I I, <laughs> I want to be in the very middle of that gradient, but have it be pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. So that means like I can style things and write front endy stuff and have it turn out okay. But your and opacity can, might be pretty low on each end. Yeah, but <laughs> if it comes to illustration, I'm shit. I can't draw icons to save my life. And when it comes to like complex algorithmic-y computer science stuff, I fall apart. I'm not very good at it. So for me, it's like being in that gradient and I work really well with other people who who also are in that gradient and then people sort of on on either end of that. Uh, so I think that's why I've quite enjoyed working with you, Max, uh, because I feel like you're probably, if, if code is on the left and, I don't know, illustration for this example is on the right, maybe I'm in the middle, maybe you're a little to the left of me. It's like... Quite a bit more programming, but you we overlap. You have a lot of, you obviously know how to style stuff. Like, I, I, that feels really good from a working relationship. Um, same with you, Brent. I think you're probably on the right of me. Is like mm-hmm. very good at the icons. We fly in formation
0: and very tight. Like, we're yeah. like the blue angels.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we
0: also are very modest. <laughs> In that we're we're extremely accurate on everything, and that's why we break <laughs> scrolling all the time. Well, we we couldn't
1: get scrolling right. <laughs> I mean, I guess we can turn this into a question. Like, you've worked with a lot of people at this point. What what do you enjoy or find frustrating? Like, what what's advice to designers to work better with people like yourself or with people who are doing the implementing? Right. So. Specifically to, des- to designers,
2: don't be so strict. In the sense that no type safeness. Is that what you're saying? The web. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just going to ignore you for now. <laughs> Please I'm, do. I'm just not going to listen to you anymore. Please do. <laughs> um, the web is very fluent and breaks. Right? No, I don't. I don't know of a single web application that's perfect, and I don't think they're really like. That's not the point of have building you seen,
1: something. Have you seen Debug?
2: Yeah, okay, I, I made that. Obviously, it's perfect. <laughs> oh, um, we're over time. <laughs> By uh, 10 minutes. It's okay, we'll wrap up. Um, designers, I think having a fundamental knowledge of how, if, you, if you're building websites, that is, of how, building, of, of how you build websites will make you understand that no, none of your designs will be pixel-perfectly translated to code. Like, that's just not something that can happen. Right. And if you try to make it happen, you just waste a lot of time. Right. There's no reason for a design that you made in Sketch or Photoshop to be literally exactly the same pixels in a web browser. There's like well, there's so many different devices already.
0: There's not that's not how rendering works in those tools anyway. Yeah. It's not system native.
2: Yeah. It's a it's a totally like and knowing a tiny bit, just a tiny bit of HTML and CSS maybe, but how you think about that already improves how you talk to developers, how you communicate between them and how how you design things because you know because your workflow will change based on knowing how the web works, I think.
0: I agree. I think that goes for any platform too, like
2: Yeah, I've, of course. And, and if I, you're working on iOS apps, learning, knowing how to how auto layout works is really important.
1: If learning how UIKit
0: worked biggest yeah. change in my entire like career.
1: Yeah. It's good advice. Uh we're super over time.
0: Thanks for coming on, man
1: yeah thanks for having me where can people find you on the internet um,
2: I am at mxstbr everywhere which is yep. a complicated twitter handle but it's really just my it's, name without vowels yeah um, if you want to find my web sweater two,
1: that's web so web 2.0 man.
2: <laughs> if you want to find my sweater on twitter it's at mxswtr <laughs> um, so it's almost the same that's my sweater on twitter um, I have no <laughs> idea who runs that account but my sweater has a twitter account uh-huh. it's um, if you a- want to have lots of pictures of me in my sweater, speaking at conferences and talking to people, um, that's a great account to follow. It's, it's, a, it's a good sweater <laughs> um, from our recommend. friend Jeff Sheldon. Yes. yes. It's, a- Ag-Monk. Ag-Monk. it's a lovely sweater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so
0: bizarre. <laughs> Just the fact that it exists is so funny to me.
2: Yeah. It's a weird, weird thing. Um, you
0: do wear it all the time, though.
2: I don't. I mean you're wearing it right now yeah oh fuck
1: (laughs) yeah but uh, the
2: short version is I have lots of sweaters (laughs) but this is my nicest one so naturally I want to when I go into a a professional context and meet the great Brian Lovin and the great Bryn Jackson I want to well great Brian Lovin and mm, uh, and Bryn Jackson (laughs) and the uh, and the (laughs) other guy
0: (laughs) have you thought about getting Jeff to make one that is
2: two ampersands side by side I should I should get a custom made one that's great (laughs) <laughs> um, but so I wear my nicest sweater to professional events all the time and that's where I get photographed and that's the, the photos that people see of me yeah. right like I don't get photographed any other time like I, yeah. I'm sitting at home in my pajamas and my other sweaters I don't nobody photographs me programming sitting at home right um, and till in your sick pajama sweaters and then <laughs> so then people assume that that's the only thing I ever wear just because I only like I wear it in professional context and by now it's into this thing where it's like a trademark where I go to conference and people are like oh hey Are you Max? I know that sweater. So by by this point, it it sort of feels weird if I don't wear it because then, you know.
1: How will people know me? Yeah. How (laughs) will people know who I am? Hashtag personal brand.
2: Yeah. That's personal branding 101 if you're in the fashion industry. All right. The dogs
1: are attacking, so I guess we have to go. Uh, I could talk about this kind of stuff for forever, but we're out of time. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do another one soon, guys that was episode 189 thanks to Maximilian for coming and hanging out with us hope you enjoyed it if you did hit us up we're on twitter at design details fm if you need more podcasts you can find 10 podcasts on spec.fm 10, ten podcast, ten podcast <laughs> cast is the plural cast to help designers and developers level up that's spec.fm cast at you that's all we shall cast our pods to your ears
0: and then their ear pods. AirPods. air pods so we're broadcasting over the air that makes pods. sense AirPods. pods cool uh <laughs> thanks for listening see you next week
2: My parents, you know, gave me decided on my name and decided it was Maximilian Alexander Stoiber. And my dad said, but I would like to have Max be named after me as well, so it would be Maximilian Alexander Manfred Stoiber. My mom was like, no, you're stupid. We definitely not going to do that. So we didn't do it. But then my my dad, behind her back, went to the agency about names after I'd, <laughs> I'd already been given a name. He went there and he went, so um, we, we forgot another f- another name, right? It should be Maximilian Alexander Manfred Starber. And They were like, okay, sure, we'll we'll, we'll change it. And then we, he went back home to my mom and was like, so how's our son, Maximilian Alexander Manfred So she, she went, what? And apparently it was a huge fight and that's how uh-huh. I ended up with my dad's name. So, Are your parents cool now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now now they're like,
1: 20
2: was years later.
0: I almost named Bryn and this is the worst name ever, Montgomery Wayne Jackson. Oh. uh because my dad wanted to call me Beamer, because BMW Jackson. Kind cool. <laughs> nope. Are you cool. serious? Could yeah, have been yeah. Bryn
1: Maximilian. At least he Wayne. like
0: was in it for like the joke. <laughs>